I, uh, I mentioned a couple of things that I want to make sure that you are, are aware of as we ramp up. Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we had a great communion service, by the way. had some extended time of worship. Um, we had some time for some snacks and fellowship afterwards. We talked about um, using our words to express love. Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. That's 40 days from Easter. So as we ramp up into the Easter season here at SCC, I want to let you know we're only going to do three Easter services just like we always do. Normally that's enough for us to accomplish to accommodate about 750 people. Um, this year is going to be different because of social distancing. We're going to do tickets for those services. So you're going to need to go online and grab tickets like you did for Trunk or Treat, like you did for Christmas Eve. Um, so start thinking about now. Those will become available about the middle of March, two and a half, three weeks before Easter. And start thinking about what services are we going to come to. Start lining up your friends. We want you to invite your friends. We're not going to do any mass mailing or mass Facebook advertising. Uh, we're going to try to accommodate all of our people and all of their friends. Um, we're going to have about 100 seats out in the pavilion. It's been nice this time of year, so we're praying for some really good weather. Um, you can start praying for good weather right now for Easter. Um, but if you want to be inside, you're going to want to be, uh, you're going to want to be jumping on that because we're going to have about 110 seats in here, 100 seats out there. Um, so I'm letting you know early in advance to get your plans together. For those of you who like to wait to the last minute, are we going? Are we not going? Are we going? Are we not going? You probably you're welcome to come, but you might be watching it on on your phone from the parking lot. Okay, so uh, so grab a ticket, um, and then let me let you know too that we're going to be starting 50 days of transformation right after Easter. Uh, we're hoping to have 200, 210 people that'll sign up for. For small groups, this is a seven-week study, so I'm going to be encouraging you to come to church seven weeks in a row or tune in seven weeks in a row. Um, we did the study uh, seven, eight, nine years ago. It's the best church-wide spiritual growth campaign that we've ever done. We're going to do it again. It's called Transformed, 50 Days of Transformation, and that will be starting up right after Easter. All right. For those of you who are watching online last week or you were here last week, um, we're in this series, Unmasking Relationships, Timeless Relationship Truths, and the New Normal. In the last 10 months, as I've said, have been some of the most stressful months that any of us have ever experienced. And one of the places that we're seeing, we're seeing so much devastation is in our inner, from the pan pandemic, is in our interpersonal relationships. This is a series on relational health. We've been looking at how can I improve my relationships? How can I make my relationships healthier? Last week was Valentine's Day. I didn't know if you got the message. I was looking for most of the husbands in Publix when I went to get my flowers after church last week. I only saw one guy from our church. It was Raj, and he wasn't even getting flowers. I, I don't know. Sarah, did he bring you flowers? I told him, get you some flowers. Okay, good. Uh, he's like, oh, it is. Uh, uh, tell him I was picking on him. Uh, so... I'm sure most of you were way prepared. I like to wait till the last minute. The flowers are, are, are fresh that way. That's my, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, so I know some of you, 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 you buy your flowers a week early, and they're dead on Valentine's Day. I don't know what that says. I'm only kidding. Glad that you had a great Valentine's Day. We started a, a two-part message last week um, on building a love that lasts forever. And I told you that I'm talking primarily to, to married couples and those who want to someday be married or be married again. Um, and I did say, though, that a lot of what we can talk about as far as marriage, we can apply a lot of that to our other relationships as well. So I wanted to let you know that this isn't a marriage series, but it is a series on relationships. So hang in there. If you're one of the people who are like here and you're going, Pastor Jerry, I'm never getting married ever again. I don't know what God's will really is for your life, but you're, you're set on that. Hang in there, because for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about relationships, but not as it applies to marriage. So I'm sure you'll learn something today that you can, you can help someone with or will help you as well. Let me go ahead and review where we were last week. For those of you who weren't able to catch it online or weren't able to be here, it is online. If this interests you, you can go ahead and go, it's worth your time to, uh, to go review that yourself um, and apply it to your life. We said... Last week, if we're going to build a love that lasts forever, God gives us six keys. The first key that I had you jot down last week, you don't even have to write it down this week, it's right there on your outline, is communication. 
And we know that that's a given. We know that communication is important to every single relationship. We also know that it's a big problem. If you want to make progress in your relationship, any relationship, you have to learn to talk to each other. And we talked about the fact that studies have been done that show 85% of marriage problems include some kind of communication breakdown. The second key that I had you write down last time is consideration. You must be considerate to your husband or to your wife. Consideration means not to think just of yourself selfishly. We said we've got to start thinking we instead of me. I've got to start thinking we, we instead of just me. It means paying attention to what your spouse says. It means listening. It means showing common courtesy. It means respecting, treating them with respect and with care. And we talked about being I'm considerate when I'm helpful. I'm considerate when I sympathize with their doubts and with their feelings and, and fears. And I'm considerate when I, when I forgive, when I offer forgiveness for their mistakes. The third key we talked about was compromise. If you've been married any, time, any amount of time at all, you know that every single marriage has conflict. In fact, probably if you planned a wedding and your engagement time, you had plenty of conflict just in that. There are some things that you're never going to see eye to eye on. You're never going to see eye to eye on 100%. You can, you can walk through life, you can walk through life side by side without having to see eye to eye. And you're never going to agree on everything. We talked about that. If you have two people who agree on every single thing, then one of them is unnecessary. In fact, one of the reasons why God puts us with a spouse who is often very opposite from us is because he wants us to be able to see life through a different set of lenses. The fourth word we talked about, the fourth key we talked about last week was contact. I'm talking about physical touch, about physical contact and affection. You must touch to keep in touch. And as human beings, God has given us skin. He's given us a body, not just a spirit and a soul. And our skin is meant to be touched. All of us, whether we're married or unmarried, we need human contact, physical contact, hugs, pats on the back, handshakes. This is why it's been such a season of depression over the last 10 months because we haven't been allowed or supposed to hug each other, embrace each other, be close to each other. Everybody needs physical affection. Number five, the fifth thing we talked about last week to building a love that lasts for a lifetime, lasts forever, is commitment. And we said if you're only going to take one word to describe, summarize the whole marriage relationship, the word would not be love. The word would actually be commitment. That Two people, given the right circumstances, given the right environment, any two people can develop loving, romantic feelings towards each other. And God expects us to keep this commitment. Then lastly, last week I told you that the, the last key to building a love that lasts a lifetime is Christ. That it takes three to make a marriage stand. Not two, three. You, your spouse, and Jesus Christ. If it's just the two of you, husband and wife, working on it, it's not enough. Marriage is like a three-legged stool for stability. You've never seen a two-legged stool. Two-legged stools fall over. We call that a little ladder. You know, a three-legged stool is, is stable. You can sit. You can, it will hold up over pressure. It has no stability if it's just the two of you. You need Jesus Christ at the center of your marriage. All right, you're caught up. How was that? Fastest, fastest repeat in, in ever. So today, I want to discuss, well, what happens, Pastor Jerry, when the spark is gone out of our marriage? People are like, yeah, but I hear you. I want to make my love that lasts a lifetime. I understand these six words. Yeah, but what about, what do you do when it's colder than Texas in your home. Have you all seen Texas this past week? Oh, my goodness. Texas does everything bigger and better, don't they? Everything's bigger in Texas. Even a blizzard in Texas. Even a national disaster is bigger in Texas. I've been praying for you, Texas. I've got some good friends who live in Texas. They used to go to church here. Now they're in Texas. I told you all you shouldn't left Florida. You know? Florida is where everybody comes. It's the last stop before heaven anyway. Right? We're just heaven's big waiting room. Don't you all feel that way sometimes? 
You know what I mean? Come on down. Come on over. What do you do when it's cold in your home? It's cold in your marriage. It's cold in her heart. What do you do to rekindle the flames of love? You want to build a love that lasts forever? Man, it seems like you're starting over. I want to build a love that will last forever, Pastor, but it seems like I'm starting from scratch here. What am I going to do with that? What do you do to rekindle the romance, even if you're an old-timer like me? I turned 54 just eight days ago, nine days ago. Speaking of old-timers, how many of you... How many of you remember Dear Abby? Anybody? Yeah, like like a handful of people. For those of you younger folks, Dear Abby was an advice columnist where you would write a letter, mail the letter to her, and she'd print your letter and her response in a newspaper. I know this sounds archaic to a millennial. So today you would just go online. There was no Internet back then. you just go online and you would uh, go to ask.com, or you'd go to one of these online advice blogs. Many of you, you just throw your business right out there on Facebook. You're just like, I'm looking for recommendations. What do I do with my lousy husband who doesn't, you know, and you just, you just ask on Facebook, and your pastor prays for you. Um, so back in the day, years ago, I saw this letter. To dear Abby, parents, you're going to have to be sure to explain to your kids what a letter is. It's like an email that you have to print and stamp and mail. Um, And this is what it says. Dear Abby, she's asking for advice. Do all marriages go stale after 25 years? Ours has. My husband and I don't seem to have much to talk about anymore. We used to talk about our kids, but now they're grown and gone, and we really don't have anything to converse about. I have no major complaints with my husband, but the old excitement is gone. We watch a lot of television, and we read, and we have friends. But when we're alone together, it's pretty dull. We even sleep in separate bedrooms now. Is there some way to recapture the old magic? Signed, the song has ended. Should bring a tear to our face. That said, Reader's Digest reports that the number one question that people ask marriage counselors is, why don't we love each other the way we used to? I can't tell you how many times I've counseled people over the last 20 years who've said something similar to that. I just don't have any desire for him anymore. I just don't love her that way anymore. I'm just not in love with him anymore we just don't love each other the way we used to how does this happen i want to explain to you something that i read in one of the greatest books on marriage that i've ever that i've ever seen it was written in 1986 by a marriage counselor turned author whose name is dr willard harley and dr harley in his book his needs her needs you should write that down it's still in print today, His Needs, Her Needs, best, best book, on, one of the top five books on marriage that I've ever read. Dr. Willard Harley explains what he calls the love bank. I've talked about this before. Dr. Harley, as a marriage counselor, he would explain to people, you know, when, when we're dating the person that we eventually married, there's an interesting thing that's happening, and it's happened to all of us that have been married. Every time we experience a positive encounter with our boyfriend or our girlfriend, it's like we deposit a credit in our love bank. She smiled at me. Bing, one credit. He held my hand. Bing, two credits. She laughed at my joke. Bing, 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 three credits. He opened the door. Bing, one credit. I think today you get about five credits for that. She looked good. Bing, 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 three credits. He smells good. Bing, 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 five credits. 
Today, man, you might even get more credit for that if you smell good. You see how it works? Every positive thing builds credits in each other's love bank. First hug, 10 credits to both accounts. First kiss, 50 credits. He bought me flowers. 100 credits. It wasn't even Valentine's Day. 200 credits. She told me she loves me. A thousand credits. He popped the question. He asked me to marry him. Ten thousand credits. Bing, 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 bing. Sounds like Vegas when that happens. Think of all the positive interactions, big and small, during the dating period, during the engagement period. We're talking mega, mega credits deposited built up into each other's love bank account. So much so that when we come to the altar, there are hundreds of thousands of love bank credits. It seems like it's enough to last a lifetime. Now, negative encounters also affect the love bank balance. Every negative encounter is a withdrawal. He was 10 minutes late for our third date. Minus two credits. She canceled Friday night date for to go on a wedding with her family. Minus three credits. See, it doesn't have to be something that you do intentionally. He had to work. We missed out on lunch together. Minus four credits. Coffee breath. What's that worth? Minus one credit. You're going to have to get used to that, honey. He blew up when the computer locked. He threw his phone. Minus 10 credits. She freaked out when some girl waved at me. Minus 25 credits. First major fight. Minus 100 credits. We argued about the DJ before the wedding. Minus 25 credits. You get the idea. This goes on every day throughout our relationship. Pluses, bing, 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 bing. Minuses, whoop, whoop, whoop. By the time we get to the altar, we have hundreds of thousands of credits in each other's love bank. Because we have been on our best behavior. We've been dating. We've been pursuing. We've been engaged. We've been showing our fiancé our best self. Our best side. We look good most of, if not all of the time, while dating and engaged. We listen. We show affection. We pay attention. We're never better at this than when we're dating, when we're engaged. In fact, sometimes I'll meet, I'll meet a, an engaged couple and she'll be saying, well, you know, he just treats me so bad, but I know once we're married, he's going to get better. I'm like, honey, have you met any married people? I said, darling, this is the best it gets. You are seeing the best version. He's already, as bad as he is, he's putting his best foot forward. I said, if he treats you like this now... I can promise you it's not going to get better, okay? It's, it's just not. You need to talk to some married girls. So we all, we all do the right things to build up credits in that person we're going to spend the rest of our life with till death do us part, supposedly, so that once we get to the altar, we are loaded with credit. Ding, 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 ding. Enough to last forever, we feel like. But once we're married, it's difficult to look your best all the time. It seems impossible to act your best all the time. We get angry. Minus credits. We get sick. Wasn't my fault. But you see somebody puking in the bathroom. Minus credits. It's not a positive experience. We're selfish. I want my way. I want the last one. I'm getting, you know, <clears throat> negative credits. We disagree. We argue. We fight. Minus, minus, minus. Pretty soon the withdrawals start piling up. And they start overtaking the new deposits. Ching, ching, ching. But it's okay because we have a lifetime supply, right? And at the end of the first year of marriage, we're at about even where we were on our wedding day. 
we've, we've had a lot of negative credits, some minuses, but we've also put in a few positives. So we're at about the same or, or just a little lower. But no worries. We have hundreds of thousands of credits, right? A lifetime supply. Five years in, we put a dent in the pile. It's not a lifetime supply. The negatives, the minuses, can start overcoming the credits and the positives, especially if we're not intentional about putting these credits in. And after a while, what do they call it, the seven-year itch, the ten-year slump? After a while, those negatives can start depleting this big pile down to a point where we start getting in danger. We're like, we don't have very much much of a positive, and you know what? It can get to the place where the negatives overwhelm so much that we get a zero bounce. We call that our love bank is bankrupt. And when that happens, you know what people start to do? They start looking for another account. Oh, I might put bing, a deposit over here. I'm going to open up some other accounts with other people. So how do you rekindle the romance in your marriage? How do you make those ding, 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 ding deposits again? How do you get the balance to start moving in the right direction? The Bible teaches that our marriage is always either growing closer together or drifting apart. It never really stands still. So what do we do when our marriage has gone flat? It's stable. There's just no sparkle. What do we do when our marriage has lost its pizzazz? The romance has gone out of it. How do we rekindle that first love? Well, what we do is we do what Jesus says to do. Jesus told John to write this, this phrase, these words, these verses, to the church at Ephesus when the church had lost its first love. We find these verses in Revelation chapter 2. And these same verses apply to our marriage when we find ourselves in the same situation, having left or lost our first love. Revelation 2, verses 4 through 5 in the NIV says, You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen and oh, repent and do the things you did at first. He says three things. Jesus says three things. Consider or remember, repent, and do. So I want you to write these down at the top of your outline there. First, you remember. We remember the good times. We relive the experiences, the happy feelings when we first fell in love. We remember those times. Anytime I officiate at a wedding, I encourage the bride and the groom. I don't know if there's anybody here that I officiated at your wedding. had several people in the first service. You'll remember this. Um, Whenever I'm talking to the bride and the groom, usually the way I do a wedding is I have a conversation with the two of them and me. And we just let everybody listen in on that. I don't address the congregation or the audience or the families very much. We just have a private conversation, but we let everybody kind of listen in. And here's one of the things I tell them. I say, look, one of the greatest benefits of marriage that God has given us is the gift of being able to share our life with someone else. Not only to share our life, but I encourage them, while you're going through life, sharing life, make a lot of memories. Make a lot of memories and then share and reminisce about those memories in later years. And I tell them, take the time to go on vacations. Take the time to take a lot of pictures. Take the time to make those memories. One of the things that Nancy and I like to do is we love to travel. Many of you know that. We take all of our birthday money budget and all of our Christmas money. We don't ever buy each other Christmas gifts or birthday gifts. I know that's a huge offense to some of you. Um, but what we do with that money is we put it into our vacation fund, our envelope in the safe for vacation. And we use all that money to take a cruise or to go on a trip. And we've been everywhere. We have plenty of stuff. Like, what do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Let's just swap gift cards. No, what we do, we we, we take that budget and we use them for vacations because we want to make the memories. Many years ago on one of our trips, we bought a Christmas ornament. I think it was in Puerto Rico. This is dozens of years ago. And then we started collecting a Christmas ornament from each place that we went, from wherever we would go visit. 
So we've been to Ireland, we've been to New York City, we've been to Hawaii, to London, uh, to Europe, to Key West. We've got surfboard ornament from Key West. Um, and we would go and buy a Christmas ornament from each and every place that we, that we visited for vacation. So now every Thanksgiving, day after Thanksgiving, we decorate our tree. Um, we pull out all those decorations. Well, it's not just one or two ornaments now. It's, it's dozens of ornaments that are all from these vacations, these memories that we have. And we get a chance to reminisce about those trips. Oh, yeah, remember when we were uh, at the Grand Canyon? Remember when we were at that place? And, and it's turned from a Christmas tree to a memory tree for us as we talk about all of the conversations that we've had, all of the big decisions. Most of the big decisions in our life we have made on vacation. We have uh, go on a cruise. We send in 21 meals together, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day, just the two of us and, you know, 2,000 strangers. And, and, and as we're talking about those decisions, we decided what, what we're going to do with our kids, what we're going to do in this situation. We go back and we reminisce through that. Now, some of us, that's what, that's what you need to do today. And you don't need ornaments to do this. You can just break out those old pictures. Maybe what you need to do is you need to dust off that VCR and get out some old VHS tapes. But we need to talk about our first vacations, our first apartments that we lived in, the first job that you had as a married couple. We need to remember the tough times when all we had was two nickels to rub together, but a whole lot of love. Where did you go on your first date? Do you even remember? You need to talk about that. Nancy and I, first date, we went to Mr. Donut. It was, it was February 15th, 2000, and I'm sorry, 1985, 36 years ago. It's Yabi Sushi now, right in front of the, uh, uh, the, the old Walmart in Sanford. You, where did you meet? You're like, well, Pastor, we're embarrassed about where we met. Well, you both, though, you don't have to tell me about it. Please don't tell me. You know, but you can talk about it. Don't tell Pastor Jerry, but remember where we met? Um, Nancy and I met at church. We met at Seminole High School. Um, where did you go on your honeymoon? That's a great story. Whether it was a good honeymoon, a big honeymoon, a small honeymoon, it's your honeymoon. You should be talking about. Remember our honeymoon? Uh, we, went to, uh, we spent our first night of the honeymoon in Brunswick, Georgia. But nobody has a worse place than that. Brunswick stinks. Really, if you're ever driven by Brunswick, it stinks. Um, we, we went to Williamsburg. We went to Washington, D.C. Um, we toured the botanical gardens in D.C. We drove up to the Poconos hoping to see snow, saw a bunch of fake snow. We have a lot of great stories about getting mad at each other on the first ski slope. It's, you should be talking about your honeymoon. Where did you live right after getting married? Nancy and I lived in a little tiny house over there, uh, three-bedroom, one-bath house over there on Airport Boulevard in Sanford. These are the conversations. This is your homework. Go home and talk about, reminisce, remember these stories. What did you buy her for your first Christmas together? What was your favorite Valentine of all time? What was your favorite surprise? What was your song? Ladies, you're going to have to help him with the song. He's going to be like, we had a song? He's like, yeah, help him to remember the words to your first song. What was your favorite restaurant that you went to when you were dating? It might not even be a restaurant that's still around. You know, most of the chains that were around when we started dating are all out of business by now. Remember the good times. That's what Jesus, that's what your Savior says. You want to return to your first love? Remember the good times. Then, number two, after you remember, do that first, repent. Repent means you need to deliberately change your attitude. You need a new attitude. Deliberately change your attitude towards your mate. You choose to turn it around. You choose to act in a loving way. You choose to act in a romantic way even though you don't feel romantic. You may even need to apologize. You apologize by saying the words, I'm sorry. That's how you apologize. I'm sorry for taking you for granted. I'm sorry we don't hold hands anymore. I'm sorry I don't buy you flowers anymore. You can hear Neil Diamond right now. You don't bring me flowers, right? I'm sorry I've ignored you. Repent. Say, I'm sorry I've let it drift this far. I'm sorry I haven't been doing what I did. And then it says, do. Do the things you did at first. Act the same way towards your mate that you used to act. 
what you did to fall in love, you've got to continue to stay in love. You see, we get complacent. We stop doing the things that we did when we first fell in love. Ching, ching, ching. No credits going in. Why? Because you quit doing those things. We used to get our door. Now it's get it yourself. We used to call just to say hi. Now they call, like, what do you want? We used to send a card. We used to write little notes. We used to think about the other person all the time in a positive way. We used to hang out. It didn't matter what we were doing as long as we were doing it together. What happened? What happened that got us to this place of dear Abby? The spark is gone. Well, here's what happened. The cycle is very predictable. We can see it in thousands of marriages around us. The cycle devolves from romance to reality. When you're dating, it's all about the romance. When you're married, hello, reality. And we go from romance to reality. Prolonged reality leads to a rut. Romance to reality to rut. Someone has said a rut is just a grave with the two sides knocked out. Romance to reality rut, and the rut leads to resentment. And if we don't break out of a rut, it leads to resentment. Romance to reality to rut to resentment, and eventually we end up with regret. That's the cycle. Romance, reality, rut, resentment, regrets. Today I want to give you five actions that cause romance. They, they cause romance in the first place, and they can cause romance to re-blossom again. And if I was going to summarize this, this message in a sentence today, it would be that feelings follow actions. Feelings follow actions. If we act romantic, we'll begin to feel romantic, not vice versa. We act our way into a feeling. You say, but Pastor Jerry, you know, that, that's, that's not being honest. I mean, I don't feel loving. I don't feel romantic. So if I act it, it's, it makes me feel like I'm being dishonest. No, actually, feelings are just feelings. A lot of times you can't control your feelings. But you can control your will. As an act of my will, even though I don't feel loving, even though I don't feel romantic, as an act of my will, I'm going to act loving and I'm going to act romantic. And I'm telling you, your feelings will follow your actions, the act of your will. It's always easier to act your way into a feeling and feel your way into an action. When we first fell in love, we did at least these five things. And we've got to do these five things again. I want you to jot down the word attention. We have to pay attention. Paying attention leads to intellectual intimacy. Philippians 2, verses 2 and 4 says... Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't look out for don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So the beginning of verse four, the second word, circle that word look. Look involves attention. Look to others' interests. The very first sign that you knew that you were following, falling in love was when somebody noticed you and started paying attention, and you noticed that and started paying attention to them. Somebody started paying attention to you, and you noticed, man, she caught my eye. He caught my eye. And, and that started, and then you built on that, paying attention. The first step in re-falling in love is to start paying attention again. Do you remember how much attention you paid to your mate before they were married to you? You wrote notes. You made phone calls. You spent hours talking together. You bought gifts. Not big things, just little thoughtful things over and over and over again. And what you were saying with all of those little actions is you have my total undivided attention. And you stopped paying attention to anyone and everyone else, and you started paying attention to this one person. And they started paying attention to you. What happened 
What happened after you got married? Life distracts us. And eventually, can I get you something, can turn into get it yourself. Maybe you don't say it out loud, it's just under your breath. Get it yourself, right? And the attention switches, and we can become complacent. We can start taking each other for granted. Have you noticed when you buy something, when you buy something new and fresh and shiny, man, you're excited about it. It's, it's a new one. You take pictures of it. You show it to all of us on Facebook as, as if we care. And, and it's like, look at my new. And we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, but it's, it's like, I've got to have it. But then after, I mean, you think of your new car. You get a brand new car. It's like, it's a brand new car. It's like, it's got the new car smell. And it's, you know, you got to park it way out at the end of Publix. You don't want anybody to ding it. You don't want anybody to hit it with a grocery cart. So you're huffing all the way across the parking lot. And, um, but after a few dings, after, you know, a couple thousand love bugs, you know, it's not so shiny and new anymore. And five-year-old cars, I used to love it, but boy, I'm looking at a newer model, aren't I? Familiarity loses our attention. You've got to have it is how you felt. And it's the same way when you first get married. It's like, I've got to have it. I've got to get married. And once you have it, it's like, I can't get rid of it, Right? They say men are goal-oriented. I don't know if this is true anymore. That men are achievement-oriented. They're destination-oriented. They're going to conquer the trip. You know, no, we don't have time to stop for the restroom. Hold it, right? They're going to, they're going to, they're, they got to get there kind of a thing. Well, when you take that and you apply it to, to marriage, the man has a goal. I've got to get a wife. Joe's got a wife. Frank's got him, someone almost, she's almost at the altar. She's about to be a wife. I need a wife. Got to get a wife. So men become very creative in reaching this goal. They do things they might not normally do or ever do again. Stuff like poetry, right? Raise your hand loud. No, I'm only kidding. No man's going to raise his hand for that. If your husband ever wrote you, yeah. But once the wedding is over, no more rhymes. Because they feel subconsciously like, mission accomplished. I'm married. Now let's go on to the next goal in life. Usually that's career. And they go from my eyes eyes are only for this woman to now I'm going to provide for this woman and our family, so to speak. And the results are a wife can feel kind of devastated. Like, man, I've been dumped for a career. You know, that was bait and switch. You know, where's the poem? You know, you They feel cheated. The point is we've got to make time for each other. We've got to continue to show attention towards each other. The attention that we showed before marriage should continue in our marriage if we want the feelings to continue. If we don't, we're headed for trouble. Look, the enemy of romance is a busy schedule. Yet I know we are all too busy. This culture we live in now... All these time-saving devices has just meant that we are now accessible 24 hours a day to the whole wide world. We're always in a hurry. We've got these global companies where some of you have conference calls at 2 o'clock in the morning. Good grief. We're always overworked and overbusy. And because of that, our spouse gets shoved aside. Because, let's face it, they'll understand So the university in Nebraska did a study. This is another one of those real studies as opposed to the ones I make up. University of Nebraska did a study on people who had a close marriage. This is hilarious to me. To me, this is like, duh, I could have told you this. Here's what they found out. They actually did a real study to study people who had a close marriage to determine why they had a close marriage And what they found is the common denominator of all the people that they studied with a close marriage, the common denominator of close marriages is they spend a lot of time together. To which I'm like, well, duh. If you don't spend any time together, honey, you're never going to have a close marriage. 
Lots of attention every week. Second word, affirmation. Jot that down. Affirmation leads to emotional intimacy. The quickest way for us to put a spark back in a marriage is to start affirming and appreciating and admiring again the strengths of our spouse instead of focusing on their weaknesses. It's easy to do. I mean, he does 99 things right, but that one thing drives you crazy. And you keep bringing up the one thing, the one thing, the one thing. You even go, well, Jesus went and looked for the one, the one sheep. You just misalign verses. You use bad theology. You try to manipulate, and we call it nagging. And at some point, the husband's like, you know what? She's unpleasable. I'm not going to do 99 things right anymore. Affirmation. 1 Thessalonians 5:11 says, so encourage each other. And build each other up, just as you are already doing. Everybody wants to be admired, appreciated, and looked up to. We fall in love with people who admire us. That's how we fell in love. Somebody paid attention to us and affirmed us, and we fell in love with them. We should verbalize our love every day. If we would verbalize our love every day, we will start feeling loving. Let me spell it out. We verbalize our love by using words out of our mouth. And we say them out loud. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm glad I married you. I would marry you all over again. I'm grateful for you. I thank God for you every single day. Every, 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 every day. That's Monday through Sunday. 365 and a quarter. Okay, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm glad I marry you. I would marry you again. I'm thankful for you. I'm grateful for you. You say that over and over and over again. You know what happens in your heart? The words make a difference and you end up you end up feeling those those feelings again. That's the power of the spoken word. You remember when you were first dating or when you were first married, you had those little pet names for each other? Now, I'm not talking about the names you have for each other now. I know. Those names have changed. Yeah, you know, we've been married 30 years. I don't, you know. Let me, they did a national survey in the top 10 terms of endearment. Number one, honey. Do you still call him honey? Number two was a tie, babe or baby. Do you still call her babe? Do you still call her baby? Number three was sweetheart. Four was dear. Lover, darling, sugar, obviously they're from the south, okay, sugar, we need to trade that out, pumpkin, is pumpkin from the south, anybody ever call anybody pumpkin, why pumpkin, you know, squash, this one was creepy to me, I don't get this one, Number nine on the list is angel pie. Do people really say that? Angel pie? Hey, to each his own, man. If that's your... The tenth one was a tie between precious and beautiful. Now, close, but no no top ten were love puppy, wild thing, and stud muffin. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jerry, if I go home and call him stud muffin... I don't know if he'll throw up, but I know I will. There is tremendous power in affirming. You begin to build each other up. You take delight in honoring each other. Listen, affirmation leads to emotional intimacy. So we should shower our mate with affirmation every day. But warning, warning. We should withhold that kind of affirmation from other people, people of the opposite sex. If we give too much affirmation at work to someone of the opposite sex, you shouldn't be calling your secretary honey, okay? Angel pie doesn't work at work, okay? You can't be calling him stud muffin, ladies. Your UPS driver, I know, I know what you're doing. Uh-uh, uh-uh, Dangerous. 
you're building emotional intimacy. If it's somebody, seriously, if it's somebody that you're working with a long time and you start always affirming them, telling them how great they look, telling them how pretty they are, um, our affirmation and emotional intimacy should come from our mate only and should be directed towards our mate only. All right, number three, affection. Affection builds physical intimacy. We know how affectionate we were during our courting days. In fact, you can always tell who the unmarried couples are. They're always snuggling up to each other, dripping off each other. They're always kissing each other on the cheek, on the hand, on the earlobe, on the knuckles. It's, it's like, get a room, y'all. You see a couple walking hand in hand, you automatically assume, oh, they're dating. It's sad that after marriage, after the wedding, the touching and the tenderness stops in so many marriages. All marriages need a large amount of hugging and kissing and caressing and sitting close to each other and holding hands and snuggling. This is non-sexual affection. Is what I'm talking about here. We just enjoy each other's company. Ephesians 5:28 says, "In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies." Now, some people say, "Well, Pastor, I'm just not naturally affectionate. We weren't. We never hugged in our family." To which I want to look at that old guy and say, "Dude." You're a Christian. You're in a new family now. You need to learn how to hug, at least your kids and your wife. We can change. We can learn to be affectionate. Babies, we talked about last week, can die from lack of touch. It's called the failure to thrive syndrome. I told you about a study last week, the UCLA study, where I found out, ladies, ladies, if you'll hug your husbands three times a day, you will increase their lifespan by three years. How many of you husbands were hugged 21 times last week because of that? I told that study. Hardly anybody. Come on, ladies. Genesis 26, 8 says, But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Oh, don't worry. They were married. The Bible says... If we want to return to our first love, we've got to do the things that we did at first. Attention, affirmation, affection. And if we return to those things, your feelings will return. Well, Pastor, I just don't feel affectionate. And you won't until you start acting affectionate again. We can act our way into a feeling. Fourth word, adventure. Adventure. Don't worry, I'm going to get this done in time. Let's face it. Let me just be blunt. Don't you love it when your pastor's blunt with you? We spend so much time in James. I, I like being blunt. Let's just face it. Most marriages are dull. They just are. They're dull. Ecclesiastes 9.9 9 says, Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life that God has given you under the sun. Your wife, the wife God gives you, is your reward for all your earthly toil. The number one Cause of affairs is boredom. Are we fun to live with? Or are we just a bump on a log? Are we just a blob in a recliner? Are we just a couch potato? When was the last time you did something with your spouse just for the fun of it? Something unusual to break the monotony, to get out of the rut Something crazy fun, just you and your husband or your wife. We had adventure when we were having romance. We've lost that adventure. Everything in marriage can be so predictable, and predictability kills a marriage. All work and no play makes a dull marriage. The family that prays together, plays together, stays together. So learn to play. The problem is most of us, the way we define fun is this. Fun is what we do when all the work is done. You see, this is what happens in a family, especially when you add kids to it. The work never all gets done. Right? Those of you, those of you moms with, of toddlers, there's never a day off. You, you, you never get away. It takes, you got to move mountains. My daughter Kristen and Nick, they're celebrating their seventh anniversary. They're up in, in Atlanta. They left uh, uh, two sets of grandparents with two um, our two grandkids, and buddy, it's kicking our butts. It's taking a, a whole tribe of people to watch these two little guys. And uh, I mean, there are like 12 people involved in this thing. And, and it's no wonder 
that it's no wonder that you moms of preschoolers, I mean, I, I admire you so much. It's it's hard. But you've got to make sure that you that you spend some time because here's what happens. We we say to ourselves, you see, the rest of the rest of life takes over and we shove our spouse to the side. And this is what we think. We think, well, she'll understand. She loves me. She understands. He loves me. He understands. I mean, we're busy right now, but it's only temporary. And Christians that you think like, well, so it's just for a season. Let me tell you something. I've been married for 33 years. I've been counseling couples for 30 years. Look, a temporary, hectic schedule becomes a permanent lifestyle. And you can't get out of that quicksand. We end up scheduling the fun right out of our marriage, and then we wonder why our feelings have died. So I challenge you, I beg you, if I could make you, I would make you. In spite of your hectic schedule, in spite of everything that's going on, in spite of two or three toddlers, you got to have a date night every week. Every couple could leave here today and say, you know what, here's our goal. We're going to have 52 dates in the next 52 weeks. Between now and next Valentine's Day, we're going to have 52 dates. You need to date your mate. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to, you're like, man, we don't have any, we can't eat out. We don't have, then go on a picnic, make some peanut butter sandwiches, go on a picnic, just the, just the two of you. It doesn't have to be expensive. It has to be regular every week. It doesn't have to be Saturday night. It could be Tuesday morning. It could be Wednesday for lunch. It can be uh, breakfast on Saturday. Every week, if you'll do 52 dates between now and next Valentine's Day, I promise you, your marriage, ding, 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 you will be building up so many love, love bank credits you can't imagine. Only one rule, no kids, okay? You can't take your kids with you and call it a date. Doesn't count. You take toddlers to a restaurant, that's not a date. That's just eating. It's just killing an hour, okay? It's surviving. We, it's the same thing with grandkids, by the way. All right, when we take Roman and Mila out to dinner, that's not a date, let me tell you. You know, that's, uh, that's, survive, that's killing an hour. That's surviving. You know, that's like we go there to leave the mess there, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Tijuana Flats. They see us coming. You know, they get, uh, they get an army of people together. They're like, oh, we're going to have to clean up after them. Exactly. So do the things you did at first. Don't just watch TV. Break out of a rut. Do something fun. Go spend a night in a hotel just one night. Just go to Orlando somewhere. Go down there. You rent a hotel room. It's cheap down there right now. And um, book a room early and do a non-refundable deposit. You'll get a better deal, and then you can't back out because there's always a reason to back out. All right, lastly, write this down. Accordance, A-C-C-O-R-D-A-N-C-E. It's a spiritual word. I don't expect you to know how to spell accordance. Accordance means spiritually intimate. Spiritual accord, spiritual intimacy is what it leads to. It means oneness of spirit. The Bible says at Pentecost that the disciples, they were all in one accord. That's why I drive a Honda right there. Very biblical. Disciples were in one accord. Get it? I drive an accord. Their hearts and souls were knit together is what that means. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. The key to fellowship with your mate, the key to joy with your mate, is that both of you live in God's presence. When I'm committed to Christ and Nancy is committed to Christ and we're both trying to live for the Lord, it naturally draws us together. Spiritual harmony, spiritual oneness brings emotional oneness, which also leads to physical oneness. It joins you together. Prayer joins you together. Now, if you haven't done this, we talked about it last week. I invite you to commit your life to Jesus Christ and then to commit your life, your marriage to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and accept his free gift of salvation through his son Jesus and then become a Christ follower. Commit your life to Christ and then commit your marriage to Christ. It's the most logical thing you can do and the most helpful thing that you can do for your marriage. How can you be spiritually one if you're going in opposite directions? The husband needs to be committed to Christ. The wife needs to be committed to Christ. And together that, that will glue and cement your marriage together through any crisis that the world sends your way. 
How do you develop spiritual oneness? In our last couple of minutes together, write this down. Pray together. Every couple can go home and pray together today. I know. You're like, Pastor Jerry, there's no way I could pray. It'll be awkward. I stumble over all my words. I've never prayed in front of somebody uh, ever before. It's okay if it's awkward. I'm not talking about praying for 12 minutes. You can pray for 30 seconds. When was the last time you prayed with your wife? When was the last time you prayed for your husband in front of your husband? Dear God, thank you for my husband. Thank you for keeping us together this long. Please help us to grow closer. You can say those words. You don't have to say them perfectly. When was the last time the two of you prayed for your children together out loud? You may need more than 30 seconds. Your kids need a lot of prayer. If you've got teenagers or you've got toddlers, you need a lot of prayer together. Number two, share your life. Share your spiritual journey. Share what you're, what you're learning. Some couples take these. I mean, take this, take this outline, open it up and say, hey, what did you think about that? Did God speak to you? What was your favorite part? If she's like, she's not going to talk to me. You know, she, 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 she doesn't use a lot of words. She's an introvert. She's not going to talk about these spiritual things. You want to get her to talk? I guarantee you how you can get her to talk today about this outline. You want to get her to talk? Here's what you say. Hey, honey, what do you think I need to work on the most? Oh, she's already been thinking about that. Say, I know you've already circled it in your mind. Why don't you point to the one I need to work on the most? Now listen, we've got to have all five of these. God wants us to have oneness. The devil fights against us. He wants us to have spiritual oneness. He wants to have intellectual intimacy and emotional intimacy and physical intimacy and recreational intimacy and spiritual intimacy. If you're only cooking on two or three of these cylinders, your marriage is not, it's not living up to its potential. God believes in romance. God is a romantic. God invented sex like we talked about last week. Yay, God. He wrote a whole book of the Bible called Songs of Solomon, and you read it, you'll blush. The whole purpose of the book is the beauty of romance and sexual love. That's what God wants for your marriage. Now, some of you think you've married the wrong person. You think, man, if I could just get a new mate. You're dead wrong. You don't need a new mate. You need a new attitude. Like Patty LaBelle's song, I got a new attitude. If you'll act romantic, you'll become romantic. If you'll act, these feelings will follow. You've got to remember how you used to be. You've got to repent with the words, I'm sorry. And you've got to do the things that you did before. Choose to do them. Let's pray. Ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message will help many marriages restore the spark that many marriages would be revitalized and be a testimony of your love for us thank you for creating the whole idea of marriage it's not your will that they be dull or boring and I I pray that you would replace the lack of touching in many marriages with tenderness and the lack of appreciation with new affirmation and new admiration. Help us to realize that people become the way we treat them. Many of us have been setting ourselves up for failure by constantly criticizing and harping and nagging. Help us to pay attention to each other the way we used to. Help us to do adventure, to break out of the mold, to break out of the rut. Help us most of all to have spiritual accord. Father, if there's anyone here, any mate here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would say yes. Yes, God, I want you in my life. Yes, Jesus, I want you to be number one. I want to follow you. If you've never done that, would you just say a prayer right where you are, in your home, or in here, or out in the pavilion? You just... In your mind, pray this prayer and say, Jesus Christ, please save my life and save my marriage. Come in. Make your life, make yourself real to me. Come into my life and make yourself real to me. I want to get to know you and love you, and I want to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Listen, if you've been watching online, I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you'll feel free to come back you'll, whenever you're ready. We've got plenty of room for you. We've got room outside if you want to dip your, your toe in. Come join us 
If not, I hope that you'll join us next week online. Next week, I'm going to talk about a touchy subject. We're going to be talking about abuse, how to recognize people who are in abusive relationships, how to set boundaries so that we ourselves are not abused. I hope that you'll invite somebody to come with you or somebody to watch online with you. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. I love you.